it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Dominic Booth and I'm joined in this festive edition by our Chief United writer Samuel Luckhurst. Uh, is it Merry Christmas or is it Happy New Year at this time of year Samuel? I never I, know which one to say. I, I suppose it's, it's both still. I think it's still, still enough time to, to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy and and it was, um, and a Merry Christmas. In the circumstances let's hope so. Yeah it was, uh, it was difficult for a lot of people and, and difficult-ish for, for Manchester United I suppose at Leicester on Boxing Day uh, with a 2-2 draw. They went into Christmas on a on a big high obviously after the the Carabao Cup victory at at Everton uh, and the league form was obviously still very very good as we prepare for 2021 uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll dice that game at Leicester Samuel before we go on to anything else what did you make of it was it a point gained or two points lost in the end it was two points dropped, I think, given that they were five minutes away from victory, the, the manner of the winner, the, the control they had in the second half, um, mainly after Pogba came on, which was not for the first time this season. It, it, he Him coming into uh, into the second half really signalled a momentum shift. They, they probably should, well, they certainly should have gone 2-1 up uh, before Fernandes scored. It, it's just that. It's almost that hackneyed way of playing, really, that once you go, um, once you take the lead relatively late on in the game, you're bound to be more reticent thereafter. And United just kind of subconsciously invited a little bit of pressure onto them from Leicester. And I, I wouldn't say I felt sorry for Solskjaer, but I sympathise with him in that he's his two dubious picks in defence in, in playing Lindelof at right back, where, where I don't think he played since the Everton embarrassment um, on, on Easter Sunday last year and retaining by alongside Maguire with, with Wan-Bissaka out, they, they kind of indirectly led to both goals and the Harvey Barnes was you know had the wind in his sails well before he, he hit that shot to, to make it 1-1 and Bay was brought or kept in the team, I should say, to try and mollify Vardy and Vardy is the one who quite, quite easily pulls off um, Bay to... I don't think it was given his goal in then, was it? It was given. It was put down as a two and Z. Yeah, goal, at, at the time, it appeared to be uh, to be his equaliser. Yet, despite those two errors, if you like, and starting Daniel James in a game that was just yeah, a step too far for him, and um, he he brought on Pogba that improved United. He brought on Cavani probably a bit too late. But Cavani still played Fernandez uh, to make it 2-1. So, as, as I've kind of written this morning, I think although it's very easy to knock Solskjaer when things don't go United's way, and, and he is he's the go-to whipping boy for a certain faction of the online fan base, uh, I, I thought overall he didn't do too badly given the circumstances at Leicester. And certainly when he was asked about um, Lindelof right back after the game, it, it, it actually made sense in that he couldn't keep Tunzebi because in his from his perspective, Tunzebi has just come back from a hamstring injury and he didn't want to risk him in a 12.30 kickoff. So those are the nuances that... I suppose even even people like ourselves, even in 
journalists, not just supporters. We we don't always factor into account when um, you know we we give those raw reactions to to the team dropping in. Yeah, and obviously there's the matter of rotation as well. This time of year, we know is very busy in terms of fixtures. United don't have much time uh, to rest. They obviously train on Christmas Day. They had the Everton game just just three days earlier, or two two and a bit really, because it was a late kickoff and then a an early 12.30 kickoff. So you understand a lot of Solskjaer's decisions, can't you, with that context, with a with a rotation? Do you think he's he's just about getting it right? I mean, United's form will suggest that he he's making the right decisions when it matters more than often. He's handled this recent run of games pretty pretty commendably, I would say, given that Wolves will be, I think, the fourth game in in nine days because they played yeah they played Leeds on the 20th. It's been it's been a game every three days. Um, pretty much since since Sheffield United, I think. In fact, so uh, it's it's always one of those periods that is hectic enough where the fixtures schedule is more crammed this season because of the pandemic. It's even more congested. But he's used about twenty players in the last two or three games, and I think going into that game at Leicester, you could kind of guess what the team was going to be just going off the players who arrested at Everton. I suppose the only surprise was that. I mean, Wambasaka was was out injured, so that that only legislated for Lindelof coming in at right back, and maybe Soska tried was was overthinking that whole strategy a bit too much there. In that, I think if Wambasaka was fit, I I think it's improbable that Lindelof would have been dropped and and Bailly accommodated three days after Bailly had played at Leicester. Uh, but in the main, he's he has got it right. I think that 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 midfield trident of McTominay. Fred and Fernandez, which has established itself quite some time ago, is non-negotiable at the moment. Rashford always starts with Marshall and Cavani. I suspect Cavani would be the popular pick to come back in against Wolves, and in general, I think most people would, most United fans would like to see him start more often than Marshall, who has just not had a good season so far. Um, after what was a very good season last season, I mean, he was he was very tepid again at Leicester. He, he embarked on one pretty scintillating run early on, but then he faded very very quickly. And you know, he was he was slightly unlucky with having a goal jolt off for offside. But I think he knew as soon as he put it in the net that he was offside. Uh, with Rashford, he he has played an awful lot of football, and there are times it's it's almost as if amid uncertainty over his form that that West Ham game earlier in the month just reinforced his importance to United in the although he's not as pivotal a player as Fernandez he's probably a player they can they can hardly do without certainly in in Premier League games but he's I mean Glenn Glenn Hoddle made a very strange remark my dad was telling me afterwards saying that Solskjaer after Rashford had that shot one-on-one and Kasper Schmeichel saved it that Solskjaer was actually applauding Schmeichel's save when I think everybody knew that he was actually just trying to encourage United after wasting a very good opportunity and in the first half when Rashford had headed that sitter over Solskjaer turned away in in disgust really and it was, it was just interesting to see in, I mean Rashford a, a, a player who he used to play with at United it said that he can't handle criticism and looking at his inner circle I think it's pretty obvious that they tell him on a daily basis how great he is how wonderful he is in all senses really and look this year what he's done away from football has been pretty remarkable for for such a young young um, athlete and and he's had very good guidance along the way um, in, in doing that but when it comes to the actual football side I think 
he's he's built up an air of entitlement that he can't be criticised. There was a question that was asked of his form back in June or July, and um, the reporter who went to ask it said, I don't want to, you know, effectively said, I don't want to criticise Marcus here because of all the good work he was doing away from games uh, with, you know, with the, the free school meals. But that chance that he didn't bury, all those chances he didn't bury against Michael, a great player, a, a, a top-tier striker or forward does bury them. I thought Michael made a good save, but the shot was very close to him. But then you see on Twitter, Rashford's brother, through his management company, just pretty much defending him when, I mean, the, the, the great United players and certainly players of previous generations, they will tell you how uh, invaluable criticism was. Even just flicking through the Sunday Times, um, there was a little kind of like a Q&A with, with Neil Ruddock, who was not the most athletic of, of players, if, if people can remember him playing for somehow England, but mostly, uh, you know, West Ham, Liverpool and Tottenham. And um, he recalled Terry Venables' man management and Terry Venables once told him, and I, I can't say the word here, but his, Raddock's dad was coming to watch him in a game and Terry Venables said to him, your dad's not come here to watch you play like a insert expletive. And if you said that to a player of a similar age now, I don't think many managers would get away with it or they would get the reaction that they desire from it because that's just the way the game has changed. And and Rashford, a little bit like Anthony Marshall, where they had such remarkable starts to their careers at United and they built up this golden boy image. I mean, I think Marshall was actually won the Golden Boy Award in 2015 or, or 2016. Um, they, they build up that air of entitlement and when they've got their entourage telling them how great they are, they become tone deaf to criticism. And I just think it was a little bit disappointing. If, if, if you're going to be a great Manchester United player, you are going to have to take um, you know, the, the troughs with the peaks. And it seems like with Rashford and his inner circle, any remote hint of criticism is just completely anathema to them. Yeah, it's interesting. Some United players seem to get more criticism than others. And, and Solskjaer seems to get more criticism for leaving certain people out as well. I certainly was thinking about this in the, the wake of more comments about um, Donny van der Beek and United's use of him, which I think is growing a little bit tired at the moment, considering the, the fixture schedule. Yeah. Rene Mullenstein's the latest one to, to question United's use. We've had Van Gaal uh, talk about it. He's never shy of a comment, is he? But do you think, is, are these debates valid? And even the one about whether United should be using Kubani or starting Kubani more, is it valid to, to even bring this up at this time of the season? Or is it fixture congestion, Solskjaer's within his rights to use whoever he wants, whenever he wants? I think Cavani is, and Soska didn't really help himself in explaining Cavani's situation on, on Saturday when he said that he'll pretty much have to accept his role at the moment, which is rotational. But then uh, in, in the embargoed section uh, ahead of the Wolves game, he said he sees him as a starting striker. So it was a pretty swift U-turn, really. And objectively, Cavani has had a better season than Marshall, if you're comparing strikers, to the extent that Marshall has had to move back to the left to accommodate Cavani in certain games. Cavani's got as many goals as Marshall, despite, I think, starting nine games fewer than him. So that that is a legitimate debate. The, the Van der Beek one was probably a legitimate debate two months ago, uh, six weeks ago, whenever. But the problem is because yeah, Dutch people are Dutch people. When something, when there's a contentious issue with one of their players or one of their coaches, 
it was a little bit similar when Van Gaal was at United as well, then they are not shy of, sorry, they are not short of um, analysts, pundits, former players coming out to, to speak about it. Now with Van der Beek and his last couple of contributions, he's he's been lukewarm at best. I thought he started off relatively well at Everton, but then with the game deadlock still well into the second half, it was clear that he was a player that had to come off and make way. And He's he's not a left winger. I don't think he's ever going to be a left winger, and that's not his fault. In that Solskjaer didn't get Jack Grealish, and in the United have rather sensibly gone for forty million pound Ajax school Netherlands international with Champions League pedigree, who can play um, at the the apex of of the midfield or at the base of midfield. And Van der Beek is has to be very skilled to do that, but he's not playing in those roles often enough at the moment for United when he does actually start. But the Sheffield United game, there was one pass that was just absolutely tailor-made that you expected him to play to Rashford at 3-1, and he didn't, and he got the ball soon after, and he lost it again seconds later. And just those bungled moments there contributed to a pretty frantic finale in a game which really wasn't a contest for probably an hour or just upwards of an hour. And Sheffield United almost ended up getting an equaliser. So Van der Beek has got to do more when he does get these chances. And he is getting chances, he is getting cameos, but it is getting to the point now, especially where the benches have increased to, to nine substitutes. And even though it's still three substitutions you can make, at the week at the weekend, certainly for the Leicester game, it was obvious that Pogba and Cavani were two players to come on ahead of Van der Beek. Tunzebi, his introduction, of course, was enforced. But certainly at the start of the season when Van der Beek was coming on and having that game-changing impact, he, he seems to have lost that knack in recent weeks. And unfortunately for him, when he is getting starts, he's not finishing games. I think he started he started at West Ham, didn't he, when, when they won 3-1. And he was, I think it was him and Cavani that came off at half-time as well. So it's it's gone well beyond the point now, I think, where it's mainly down to Solskjaer's questionable handling of him. It's more a case of Van der Beek really needs to get up to speed at United and get out of Ajax mode. It's it's a hugely different, I mean, the difference in expectation and demands between playing for Ajax who huge club though they are play in a league where it's you know nobody's really watching it outside of outside of the Netherlands and there's not much interest in it to an institution like United who are probably just about the most scrutinized sporting institution on the planet he he's gonna have to come up he's gonna have to step up um sooner or later and that's why I think earlier in the season the comparisons with players like Herrera and Mkhitaryan were valid and that they had very very slow starts to their United careers Herrera kind of bafflingly was just not getting picked for a long period by Van Gaal but eventually came good Mkhitaryan certainly came good in the second half of his first season as well. So I, I still think he can be a success for United, but it doesn't bode well for him that a player like Pogba, who has publicly backed his agent and very, you know, public and has been public in saying that he wants to leave the club, is still being brought on ahead of, in games ahead of Van der Beek, who I think in an ideal world you would probably be entrusting more than Pogba. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. And and Pogba's actually playing better than Van der Beek at the moment, you, you would probably say. Although, you're right, the Van der Beek will you'll probably get his time. I guess the, the problem for him is the benchmark for United signings, especially in midfield positions in the number 10 position, is Bruno Fernandes. I mean, it'd be remiss of us to go through this podcast without really talking about him again. It's coming towards the end of his first 12 months at, at United now, and it's just absolutely astonishing to think how much he's 
he's transformed the club. He's he's transformed their fortunes. You get all these stats about how many points United have won since he came to the club, which I think is more than anyone, even Liverpool. Um, and obviously a goal and assist in a performance that I didn't particularly think was Fernandez's best against Leicester. United just cannot live without him, can they, at the moment? No, certainly when it came to the player ratings, uh, I was, I mean, they, they were changed later on anyway because Leicester equalised, but his, his name went in the headline as like Bruno Fernandez and Luke Shaw good. And I was thinking, Fernandez hasn't really been that good, but he, if, if United win this, I mean, regardless of the final result anyway, he got another assist and he got another goal. Uh, I think it was Stuart Gardner, the MUTV commentator, sorry, um, uh, posted the stat that Fernandez has got 31 goals or assists in 28 Premier League appearances, which is just a remarkable rate. His, his numbers in Portugal were impressive, but you you look when certainly when you looked at that at the time you thought well that they're going to dip quite drastically because he's going from uh, Portuguese league to the Premier League it's it's a much higher standard but the way he's taken to not not just the Premier League but playing for Manchester United in the Premier League at a very virulent time as well given the I think the night that United agreed to deal with Sporting was the night of the attack on Woodward's house they they'd lost to Burnley and Liverpool in their previous two league games. Um, you know, it was not it was not a happy camp uh, for, for him to have gone on and got them back into the Champions League, and for him to have kept that up over, as you say, nearly twelve months, is remarkable. Uh, I remember writing in July; it was it was no longer blasphemous to compare him with with Eric Cantona in terms of mid season impacts. Uh, you know, United authorities like Rob Smythe and Daniel Harris have likened him to Brian Robson as well as Cantona. So. There's, it's really difficult to get any higher praise than that, even though United haven't won anything. And that's the thing that will nag, even though he's not, not a year into his career at the club yet. It, it will get to a point, and I think certainly if they don't win anything this season, that you wouldn't be surprised to see the narrative to be the, the narrative that gets to be spun that is, can United keep Bruno Fernandes? Because he is the only world-class player in this squad at the moment, and he is deserving of... Um, of, of, of winning trophies. I mean, he, he won the Smack Busby Player of the Year award last year, even though he, he came in in January. And I'd probably say he actually deserved that just because of the sheer impact he had on that team. Uh, so that's that's the thing that is, is probably in the back of United's minds that sooner or later they are going to have to placate, placate him in terms of winning silverware. And he's not, he's not that young. He's already well into his mid-20s. Um, I suppose that was the other... The other gripe you had, or certainly qualm you had, rather, that when United were looking at him, that he was he was still at Sporting Lisbon, well into his twenties. Um, I know he had a time in, in in Italy, which which wasn't too too happy for him. Uh, and and there were other clubs like Tottenham and Manchester City who certainly showed interest in signing him. But yeah, there's there's not much more you can say about him. I mean, it's it's a little bit tedious when the questions asked after games like what 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 more can you say about Bruno Fernandes? And Solskjaer was was asked about him again, and he said how he sometimes is pulling his hair out because of the amount of times Fernandes loses the ball. But uh, whether he's performing or not performing, he's still coming up with these key contributions that more often than not decide matches. Absolutely. I think United fans will accept the odd uh, seeing a possession from Fernandez in exchange for what he's been doing in, at the other end of the pitch. Um, because the, the challenge for United is to try and replicate a signing or to, to produce some similar magic in the 
upcoming January transfer window. Samuel, you've reported that United are trying to finalise a deal for Ecuadorian midfielder Moses Casido uh, in the January transfer window. We know that Ahmed Giallo from Atalanta is due to uh, become a United player pending a few final details in January. Obviously, both of those young players, teenage players, do we expect United to do anything of any more notes, I guess, if you, if you discount those two as young ones for the future, do you expect much to happen in January? I think the the priority is certainly the outgoings. They they would obviously like to trim the squad. It is a bloated squad. Certain players are just lingering. I mean, they they are added. They are part of that thirty one man squad, but only in name really. I mean, Sergio Romero is never going to get picked again. Marcus Rojo is never going to get picked again. Timothy Fosu-Mensah is about to enter the last six months of his contract. Uh, United do actually want to keep him. They've offered him a new contract, but he's been stalling on that considering his his future because he's not getting an awful lot of playing time. And I mean, he is a player who just makes up the numbers. They're bound to be saddled with Phil Jones at least until the summer, just by virtue of Jones being being injured uh, permanently injured. It's you know it really is beyond parody with him. So that that's the priority, but of course, because of the um, work permit regulations and the change in rulings for going after or trying to sign foreign talent uh, due to Brexit, United are starting to look at younger players aged between 18 and 21. Palestri and Diallo uh, were two of them who they agreed deals for on deadline day. Moises Caicedo is another one. Um, I think there was, an, there was an Ecuadorian report last week that said it was official. Uh, I mean, I wrote it in my story at the time that, that that really wasn't the case. I think sometimes when United are interested, <clears throat> excuse me, in a in a player um, from a certain country, the, the, the local media, um, you know, can't really believe it and get ahead of themselves a little. And the, it's, it's certainly not a done deal. And last heard, it, it wasn't really close to a done deal either. I mean, these things do take time, even when it's an, an Ecuadorian midfielder who plays for a club like like Independiente del Valle, I think is the pronunciation, who I'm not going to lie, I hadn't heard of before. Um, I was made aware of Caicedo, but his, his pedigree certainly is, is looks quite promising in that he's he's been a regular for Ecuador in their last four World Cup qualifiers. He only turned 19 last month, I think it was. So yeah, because of the work permit regulations, it would be to sign him immediately. But I imagine there would be a period of adaptation similar to Palestri's in that he spends a lot of time with the under-23s or certainly he's in an he drains with the first team, but isn't necessarily integrated into the um, first team playing um, standards for for a while. Even though he's you know, he is a full international now, so it, it, that might happen. It might not happen. But I, I would think that it would be a, one of the issues in the summer was that they didn't get rid of enough players. And in January, I mean, this January coming up, the expectation is that it will be quiet. I don't see it catching fire with a big deal like it did in. I mean, we're coming up to the 10-year anniversary of the January window when Fernando Torres, Andy Carroll, Luis Suarez all made made moves for... Must have been, three of them must have cost about £100 million, I'd have said. Um, I don't think we'll get anything like that. And United have had the best and worst of it in, in January transfer windows in recent years. You've had Sanchez and you've had Fernandez, who are pretty much polar opposites when it comes to uh, efficacy of, of January signings. So... 
it wouldn't surprise me if it's one of those January windows like yesteryear when Harry Redknapp had just taken over at Southampton or Portsmouth and or, or Steve Bruce went out and signed Christoph Dugarry for Birmingham in the you know, relegation candidates go out there, spend a bit of money. I mean, Sam Allardyce is an obvious uh, manager that you can see being active because he's already got a bit of a reaction out of West Brom in, in getting a draw at, at Liverpool and, and he'll want to reinforce them uh, and, and so they're playing more in his image uh, to keep them up. Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like one where we'll get a huge amount of deals, a huge amount of money being spent. I am going to mention a name, uh, Samuel, that seemingly won't go away among United fans anyway, Jaden Sancho. Uh, we know that United have not completely dropped interest in him. Do you see anything happening? Do you think is anything happening next summer with this one? Is it is it going to go away? Are we going to get an answer one way or another? I kind of hope it just doesn't happen now. It's it's I've even it almost it used to be a kind of like a bit of personal pride that I was the first person to probably on the planet to write the United who were interested in Jaden Sancho, which was I should add back in 2017 when he was still at Manchester City. But I mean, I'm just so bored of the mention of his name, and he, he seems to have had an underwhelming season at Dortmund. Dortmund have sat their manager. It's almost as if they've just tossed off campaign already. So he he can't do too much to really, just on the face of it, impress or you know compel United to make a move for him next year. And it's it's strange to think that there is a scenario that Dortmund might end up being. I mean, saddled is is maybe too strong a word, but it it's not completely inappropriate given his value last year and how much it's dwindled over the last four or five months. Um, I suppose if Dortmund offered Sancho to United for £60 million, there wouldn't be too much of an issue. But it will be interesting to see, depending on how much they are used in the second half of the season, how Palestri and Diallo do for United in that they are two right-wingers. And in which case, if those two um, perform well, then do you still go after another player to go straight into the side, which was what they wanted in the summer. I mean, after Sancho didn't happen. And I was told that they actually walked away from the Sancho deal about three weeks before the window closed. They, they then looked at Ismail Assar, Usman Dembele's name cropped up. Gareth Bale was obviously available as well. And although United were adamant they were never going to buy him, they didn't deny that they would be interested in a loan deal. I didn't think that was the right move at the time and given how much he's underwhelmed at Tottenham and how brittle he seems at Tottenham as well, I think they made the right choice there. So they, they, they need they need another forward. I, I say right winger, so, certainly someone who can who is adept at playing from the right, but someone who's also multifunctional and can play across um, across the front line and whether that still is Sancho or whether they, they've had their full of him I'm not sure for absolutely certain United will never rule out until you know, maybe Sancho goes to another club that I, I don't think I can never envisage a day where United say look we're not in for him we're not going for him it's case closed there we're moving on they, they just don't really do that with um, with players who, who fit their profile so I hope there's no mention of him in January. Uh, I mean, I remember going into the last January window, we were all joking about United signing Bruno Fernandes because at the time he seemed the least likely signing in the world, just going off what United had said about um, the stories in the summer and how much guff was coming out of Portugal about them being in for Fernandes when they weren't in the summer of 2019. But then the amazing thing last year or sorry last season was that Solskjaer and Mike Phelan went out to watch Fernandes in Portugal where back in the days where supporters were actually inside the stadium 
and nobody got a picture of them. Uh, and, and when you, I don't know if you remember, there was a picture of Marcel Boot, the global head of scouting at Real mm. Sociedad game, watching Martin Odegaard. And you think, well, if he can be packed there and someone recognises him, how is it that the Manchester United manager goes to Lisbon, one of the most one of the best cities in Europe, really, and goes to one of the main stadiums in Lisbon and doesn't get photographed. I mean, it's, it's pretty extraordinary, which is why everyone was very, very suspicious when um, it was reported that he'd gone out to watch Fernandes. But of course, they signed him, and he's he's just been about he's just been about the best best signing they've made in probably the last ten years. Yeah, we're very very hard to uh, to match it. Well, if you were um, sick of talking about Jaden Sancho, Samuel, then maybe. Uh, you've just about got interest in talking about Manchester United against Wolves. We've had a, at least a few <laughs> off this fixture. Uh, it's one that you and I have been to uh, a few times together in the last year or two. But here we are again, Manchester United against Wolves. Um, a bit of a different Wolves, I think you'd say, this season. They don't really seem as, as sort of battle-hardened, as, as tough as maybe they were. Obviously, Raul Jimenez is a big loss for them at the moment after he got that, that head injury. And they also lost uh, Dio Giotto in the summer to Liverpool. What do you make of Wolves and is this actually a bit of a different kind of game than those previous Wolves games that were a bit of a struggle for United really, weren't they? Yeah, uh, there, was, there was a great stat, I think it was from it was Mark Critchley who tweeted it out about, because I think by 1st of February last year, United and Wolves had played each other three times and it was like a, the percentage of... Um, the percentage of the year that we the world had literally spent watching uh, or taking in Wolvesman Wolvesman United games. Uh, I mean, there's been a there's been a fair bit of breathing space, which I think we're all grateful for, and especially since it looked like at one point they were going to meet each other in in the Europa League. That that just seemed so inevitable. It was remarkable. It didn't happen in the end. Uh, but as you say, I mean, watching them against Tottenham and and watching them a couple of times this season, that they are a very different side. They don't really have that. A little bit like Leicester, they don't have that sense of settled aura that they used to, where you could name team from one to eleven. Every you, you knew the automatic picks, you knew what the substitutions would be. They've changed that. They've changed the formation as well, which is obviously um, quite important to um, to take in. But against Spurs, I, I mean, Tottenham were. Were really poor, I thought. I mean, to to have been as unambitious as they were against a team who did, weren't really in sync, weren't really threatening them. Okay, but it it was just the the completely wrong way that Tom went about it. Mourinho said that they were too unambitious in in the second half, but maybe you know they're they're just programmed like that in in some games. Um, so it, you think that given that Wolves, I mean, we're talking on the Monday, Wolves played on the Sunday and they're about to play on the Tuesday, which usually happens to most teams in the Premier League. United have had it so many times the last few years where they've played on the 26th and the 28th or they've played on um, you know, the, the, the 30th and then New Year's Day or what have you. Um, you would think that Wolves, after their excursions and you know, really trying to get that equaliser and then getting that equaliser in the last 10 minutes against Spurs will be absolutely knackered for the United game. United, uh, the understanding is that the starters at Leicester had a recovery session on Sunday, so they didn't do any ball work on the grass at Carrington, which would explain why youngsters like Palestri, Will Fish, Joe Shortire, Ansi Alanga and, and Ethan Laird were drafted into into first team training and, and appeared on, on the club website and those those images. So, I mean, may, maybe finally United, uh, uh, this is possibly their best chance, I think, to to beat Wolves in the Premier League since since Wolves came back up. Um, I think, I mean, the only time United have 
have beaten Wolves since they got promoted in 2018 was in that just utterly uh, unremarkable and unmemorable FA Cup replay that nobody wanted in January, uh, where Wolves didn't take up their full allocation. Uh, Nuno's team that he played, I think he had about as much interest in that game as he does in in writing programme notes. I mean, his his programme notes for those, the uninitiated, (laughs) are legendary in that they last literally about a dozen words. It's like, I hope you enjoy the game. And I hope that we've managed to give you a win. Thank you. And and he signs off with his name. That That is literally it most of the time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I hope I hope it's something of a spectacle. It would be ironic if a Wolves United game served up a spectacle uh, with, with no supporters present, because it has been one of those games where fans previously just, just cannot be bothered with whatsoever. Yeah, we should get Nuno in to write a few opinion pieces for the MEN. It would be, uh, <laughs> be done in absolutely no time. Um <laughs> Go on then, Samuel, just before we finish, I will be asking you uh, for a prediction. I, I'm going to put my neck on the line and, and make it easy for you by saying I think United will win this one. I think it's the United Wolves game that they can definitely uh, win, especially in recent form. Do you do you concur? Yeah, I, I do think they'll win this one, just purely because Wolves have, have must have been absolutely rinsed from the Tottenham game. United have had a bit more breathing space between matches. Solskjaer has rotated pretty well uh, as well. And in terms of the options to bring in and freshen up the, the team, if, if Pogba, I think the principal decision is, is not to start Pogba, but if you can maximise him while you still can and you're the United manager, why not? Cavani can come back in, Wambasaka can come back in. Um, it's it's a pretty good position to be in going into this game. Brilliant. Well, we'll have to see how United do fare uh, against Wolves. That's the I'm struggling with my days of the week, but that's on the 29th of December. Uh, you never know which day of the week it is around Christmas, but we'll bring you all the no, build to that on. Yeah, on the Manchester Evening News, that will be there. You can subscribe to this Manchester is Red podcast and leave us a like and a subscribe. Um, Thank you very much, Samuel. Uh, We'll be back very, very soon. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks again. And thanks for listening. We'll be back with you again very, very soon.